Hello, Life Group Leaders, and welcome to the first Life Group Leaders podcast for our new all-in series, 40 Days with Jesus. I'm Pastor Roy, and I'm really excited about this series. Over the course of 40 days, beginning on this Sunday, March 6th, we will spend 40 days as a church sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to his teaching. We'll do that through a series of six Sunday sermons that go through Palm Sunday. We'll also have a 40-day devotional series that's available as an ebook. Now, we've done devotional books in the past, but what makes this one especially exciting is that this time it will also be available as daily audio devotionals that can be accessed on a number of platforms such as um, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And of course, we'll have a six-week life group study. The study guide for each week will include um, reflection questions on the sermons and also on the devotionals, but the bulk of each week's study will be on teachings that are not in the sermons or in the devotionals, or a deeper dive into some that are. By doing doing it this way, I've been able to write the study guides for all six weeks ahead of time and get them to you at the start of the series. Each week, I'll also provide for you as leaders some commentaries on the passages being studied and also this podcast which I, in which I'll talk you through the study guide questions. So before we look at the week one study guide, I first want to encourage you to begin using all of the features of planning center groups and church center. If you've already done this, that's great. Planning Center Groups and the Church Center app work hand-in-hand, and you can use both of these things to do things like adding people to your group, taking attendance, sending emails to your group or messages to your group, and also sharing resources. If you need any help with either Planning Center uh, Groups or Church Center, please let me know. The study guide and the commentaries can be found in both of those places. So if you go into Planning Center Groups, click on the Resources tab, you'll find those commentaries. You'll also find the study guide. In in Church Center, in the Church Center app, you can also find those resources. And if uh, any, uh, any resources that I make available to leaders only will only be accessed by leaders, that your members won't be able to access them. But if, in the case of things like the study guide, I'll make that one available to your members as well as you. So um, even your members can use the Church Center app to get those resources. So let's take a look at the study guide. Now, week one is slightly different from weeks two to six. In weeks two to six, the study will start out with a gray box that contains reflection questions on the previous week's devotionals. So that'll only happen in weeks two through six. Um, So in week two, you'll be looking at the devotionals from week one. In week three, you'll be looking at the devotionals for week two and so on. Now, these questions are optional. You don't have to do the questions on the devotionals. They're just there for you to do. You can use them as an icebreaker. You can save them for the end of your group time, or you can choose not to do them at all, or even do them during the week with your group. You know, you could start a message uh, chain and say, you know, what does everybody think about the devotionals this week? What stood out? 
in week one, there, that same gray box contains an icebreaker question. So I would definitely recommend using this question to kick off the series as a way of getting the discussion started. Each week we'll also have a gray box at the bottom and that contains reflection questions on each week's sermon. Now those are also optional. You can choose to, to do those or you can choose not to do them. The main part of each week's study though focuses on a theme and that theme is indicated at the top of the page and it's independent of the devotionals and the sermons. So today I'm going to walk through the study for week one. And the theme for week one is the Beatitudes. Now, the Beatitudes are touched on in the devotional. Um, I believe that they'll be touched on in this week's sermon, but this is going to take you a little bit deeper through the Beatitudes. We're going to look at each of Matthew's Beatitudes individually, and then we're going to compare Matthew to Luke. So as you start your group discussion time, First thing you want to do is have one or two people in your group read through Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to 12. And the majority of the, the study for this week is based on this passage. So we start off with a question that asks, what does it mean to be blessed? Now, the objective to this question is to get the people in your group thinking about what that word means, especially in the context of the Beatitudes. What does that mean? What does it mean to be blessed? Now, in some translations, the Beatitudes start off with blessed. In some others, they start off with God blesses. And then in yet others, they it starts off with happy are. Now, if you look at the commentary that I've provided for this week, for Matthew 5, 3 to 12, you'll see that the original Greek word in these verses is makarios, which doesn't indicate that the person is someone who God blesses. And according to the commentator, happy is a better translation if it's used as a condition of life rather than used as a mental state of being. And the comment commentator says that fortunate or well-off are less ambiguous, and so those would probably be the best way of explaining what it means to be blessed in the context of the Beatitudes. So really what, what Jesus is saying is that these people are well-off or fortunate because this is who they are, because these are the attitudes that they have. So and that that's just some background information to help you as you guide the discussion. But really what you want to do with this question is kind of get a sense for what, what do people think that that word means? What does that word blessed mean? So the next several questions in, in the study guide focus on each of the Beatitudes. So the, the first set of questions, um, or I should re really say the second set of questions, um, says to reflect on Matthew 5.3. And in some translations, Matthew 5.3, this is the first of the Beatitudes. And in some translations, um, Jesus says, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be poor in spirit? That's the first question. And if you look in the, in the uh, commentary, you'll see that 
what the commentator says is that poor in spirit um, tells us that the thought is really not material poverty. It's not someone being poor. Although when you get to Luke, you'll see that Luke doesn't say poor in spirit, but he says poor. But here Matthew is saying the poor in spirit. And um, in the commentary, it says the phrase alludes to an Old Testament theme which underlies all the Beatitudes, that of the poor or meek, who occur frequently in the Psalms and elsewhere. Um, it, it really speaks to people who humbly trust God. It speaks to um, people who um, it, it, where they, they have dependence on God. It's someone who, who really puts all their, their dependence on God. Um, and I think in, in the New Living Translation, it says, blessed are those who are poor and realize their dependence on God. So that's the kind of the, the substance of, of poor in spirit. It, it's not being poor. It's being poor in spirit. It's, it's being aware that you are totally dependent on God. And, and this is um, really the mark of, of a disciple. And you'll see that in, in the commentary. And I, I love what it says in the commentary on, on, the, uh, on page two of this commentary. It says, the kingdom of heaven belongs to or perhaps better consists of such men. So, so the poor in spirit, the kingdom of heaven belongs to them, but the better way maybe of saying that is that's what makes up the kingdom of heaven. It's made up of those who are poor in spirit, those who realize their need for God. So the next question focuses on Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, the second beatitude, where Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. And those who mourn are not necessarily people who are grieving over the loss of a loved one. And that's what, what I'm asking here in, in this study guide. It's, it says, you know, the word mourn could mean grieving the loss of a loved one. But it could mean more than that. You know, it could be the, someone who's mourning over their sin, mourning over the sins of the world, mourning over the state of, of uh, mankind, that kind of a thing. Um, but the more the the those who mourn can also be the suffering those who according to the commentary whose life is from a worldly point of view an unhappy one and particularly those who suffer for their loyalty to god so these are the people who mourn and those are the ones who will be comforted so um, the conversation should be about, you know, what else could mourn represent? And you might get several different answers on this. You, there may be different opinions on that. But the idea here is just to get the conversation going and, and think about what, what Jesus is talking about here. The next question reflects on Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. And in this beatitude, Jesus is addressing the humble, or as it says in some translations, the meek. So the first question here is, why is meekness an attribute that all disciples should strive for? So th think about that. What, what does that mean? What does it mean that... that um, you know, the blessed are the meek. What is, why is meekness such an important thing? And if you look at the commentary, um, the meek are those who, um, it, they not aren't, it's not a sign of weakness. I mean, Jesus was referred to as meek throughout his, um, 
his ministry on earth, he was referred to as meek. Um, but really, it's people who rely on God to give them their due. It's people who live in, in humility. Um, and it's these people who will inherit the earth. So um, you, we see this even in, in Psalm 37, verse 11. And, and you know, we're going to talk about that in a, in a couple of seconds. How, you know, how does that compare? How does, how does Matthew 5, 5 compare to Psalm 37, verse 11? But the whole idea of meekness is, is really um, just relying on God to give them their due, being humble, not saying that, you know, I can achieve this on my own. I need God. I, I need to be humble. I need God. Um, and God will give us the place that, that we wouldn't look to take ourselves if we have that, that humility, that meekness. So the next question is, what does Jesus mean when he says the meek will inherit the earth? And, and in the commentary, you'll see that it says that the possession of the land or the earth refers, um, in Psalm 37, rather, verse 11, it refers to um, Palestine. But here, it's just the idea that God, it's not so much territorial. You know, Jesus is not talking about actual territory. He's just talking about God giving them a high place that they would not seize for themselves, as it says in the commentary. So the next thing we have uh, you do in this study guide is to read Psalm 37, verse 11. And in Psalm 37, verse 11, let me get to that psalm. Sorry about that. So Psalm 37 verse 11 says, the lowly will possess the land and will live in peace and prosperity. So the idea here is to read that and compare it to, to Matthew 5, 5. You know, how do they compare? And we've talked a little bit about that already, but just get some conversation going on. How do these two things compare? You know, what was Jesus kind of reflecting on that, that Psalm? The next um, set of questions is on Matthew 5, 6, which um, is, blessed are those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's how it's translated in many translations. And hungering and thirsting for righteousness, that's, that indicates an intense longing for those things. So the, <clears throat> the question, the first question here is, what does righteousness mean to you? And you know, this is just an opportunity of people to share what, what does that mean to them? What, what does it mean to have righteousness? What does righteousness mean? And then what does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? So if you go to the commentary, you'll see that it says, um, when, when we talk about righteousness, um, it's, the meaning is that the person has this desire for a relationship of obedience and trust with God. So when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, that's what we're looking for. We want that relationship of, of obedience and trust with God. And it, it's not, in some versions, it's um, hunger and thirst for justice. And it's not a, a sense of social justice. It's more a personal thing. It's, it's, it's our own personal justification. Um, and the satisfaction that we get from 
a relationship with God is what we're looking at here. So that's what, what that's speaking of. So talk about that. Talk about what does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? How, how do we hunger and thirst for it? How do we strive for it? How do we long for it? Next set of questions is on Matthew 5, 7. And this is blessed are the merciful. And then the merciful are blessed because they receive God's mercy. So um, what does it mean to be merciful? You know, think about that in terms of what what it means when um, we show mercy to somebody else. What is it? What does that mean? What does the word merciful mean? So getting some conversation going around that. And how do we show mercy to others? I think one of the things that that mercy means is really having compassion. You know, when we have compassion, we're going to look to to help those people who are struggling. We're going to have mercy. We're going to have compassion. That's how we show mercy to them. We we are compassionate toward them. That That's just my thought on that. Um, and how does God show mercy to us? And I think, you know, it's really the same way. And it's in that with the same way that God shows mercy to us, we need to show mercy to other people. Um, so maybe it means we um, are willing to forgive and, and things like that. And we're willing to willing to uh, forgo a debt or something like that. Um, but it's the idea of being compassionate, you know, having love and compassion for a person. Then the next set of questions is on Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. Now, the first thing that comes to mind um, when you think about pure in heart is a kind of a moral purity. But I think that maybe when Jesus said the pure in heart, he meant more than that. So what I ask you to do here is to read um, Isaiah 29, 13, and then read Psalm 24, verses 4 to 6. So let me read the psalm first. So Psalm 24, verses 4 to 6, and that reads this way. Let's see, Psalm 24. Okay, so that reads, Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies, they will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God their Savior. Such people may seek you and worship in your presence, O God of Jacob. And then if you look at Isaiah, in Isaiah twenty nine thirteen, what we see there is this. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so the Lord says, these people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. So you kind of get the opposite here. So um, what it means to be pure in heart is to, to really live out what we read in Deuteronomy uh where it says, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and 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 strength. Um, you know, we we need to be pure in heart. We need to be devoted. We need to um, make sure that we're giving all of all of our heart to God, um, not just a part of it. It has to be pure. It has to be, you know, focused on God. 
So that that's to me what the what it means to be pure in heart. So the question here, of course, is, you know, what does it mean to be pure in heart? And we see in Isaiah twenty nine thirteen what it's not, and in Psalm twenty four verses four to six we see what it is. Next set of questions is on Matthew five nine, and this is talking about the seventh beatitude, which says that, <clears throat> excuse me, blessed are the peacemakers, or in some translations, it says those who work for peace. So what does that mean? What does it mean to work for peace? That's that's the question. Get some conversation going about that. See what people feel it means to work for peace. So the next question kind of follows up to that. Does this verse refer to peace with God or peace with others? So, you know, one thought would be that to work for peace is to work to see the peace of God in all people. We know that that the peace of God is a peace that surpasses understanding. So that's the peace that we want to see everyone experience. So being a peacemaker or someone who works for peace, you're striving for all people to sense that peace that comes only from God. Um, it could also mean peace with others. Um, you know, we want to strive for, to live in peace with others. We want to strive to live peaceably with all all people. Um, God tells us to love our neighbors. He tells us to love our enemies. We need to live in peace with all people. So what connection, next question is, what connection does peace with God have with, with peace with others? And I think, to me, <clears throat> I don't think we can have peace with others unless we have peace with God. So we need that peace with God. We need God to give us his peace in order for us to also work for peace with others, to have peace with others. So the next set of questions is on Matthew 5, chapter uh, um, verses 10 to 11. And it says, Jesus ended the Beatitudes by addressing those who are mocked and persecuted for doing right and following him. And he said that they should be happy about it and rejoice. So how do those verses apply to us as followers of Christ today? And I think, you know, when we see the things going on in the world, when we see how there's, you know, truth has become relative. It's like whatever truth is to me is what the truth is. And whatever truth is to you is what the truth is. But we know that the truth is only found in in. Jesus Christ. And, and so, you know, that's how we, we live our lives following him. And we live our lives looking to him as the only source of truth. And we try to live according to his word and according, according to his commands. So we can be persecuted for that because we're being too narrow-minded or we're being intolerant. Um, and, um, you know, we may be persecuted. In this country, we, we're not persecuted physically at this point. Um, in some countries, people are. And in some in countries like China, people have to do these, these underground churches so that, you know, they don't get punished by the government for following Christ. That hasn't happened here, but it certainly could. Um, but we can see it in, in just the way that sometimes Christians are treated, and sometimes, and in, in you know, when you think about marriage and gay marriage and how that has been become so pervasive, and it, and it, when we speak against it, we're being intolerant. So um, we're starting to see that here. So that I think that's how that verse applies to us. But the the 
crux to this is that we need to rejoice in in that persecution. So what I ask you to do here is um, have someone read Second Corinthians one five and read Second Timothy two twelve and First Peter one seven and also First Peter four thirteen. And what do these verses tell us about why we should rejoice in persecution? Next set of questions is on Luke. So now we shift from Matthew's Beatitudes to Luke's Beatitudes, but what we want to do is compare the two. So what are the similarities and the differences between Matthew and Luke? And I think the first thing um, that we see is that Matthew's got more Beatitudes than Luke does. Luke only shares four Beatitudes, but then he follows them up with woes or sorrows. Um, so that's the difference, is that there there are less Beatitudes in Luke, and then he also adds these woes and so, or sorrows. Um, other differences, even as in the wording, we talked about the poor in spirit before. Well, in Luke, that Beatitude becomes blessed are the poor. So I think Luke has shifted the meaning there. And, you know, Luke is based on what's commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Plain, based on the descriptions given in, in, the, in the Gospel of Luke. It took place on a plain, whereas in Matthew, it's on the Mount. So um, it, it's likely that these may have been two different sermons sharing the same basic information, but in two different places and two, at two different times. So, um, the question here is, how do the woes and sorrows in Luke 6, 24 to 26 con contrast the Beatitudes in verses 20 to 23? So Luke was very intentional. He's got these four Beatitudes followed up by these four woes, and they are actually um, contrasting each other. So if you look at the commentary that I provided for Luke, you'll see a little chart and you can see that that the parallels between the blessings and the woes are pretty clear. So the first of the Beatitudes or the blessings is the poor and in the first of the woes he's addressing the rich. So it's the contrast between the poor and the rich. This is what happens to the poor. This is what happens to the rich. And then the next one is the hungry, and, and the woe is for the well-fed. The next blessing is for those who weep, where the woe is for those who laugh. And the blessing, the fourth blessing, is for those who are rejected, and for the woes it's those who are spoken well of. So Jesus addresses the, the, um, the people who are poor and all first, and then he addresses the people who are rich and so on. Um, so when you when you look at this, and I'll share something from the commentary, you can see um, on page four of the commentary on Luke, on the passage from Luke, um, the commentator says that in verses twenty four to twenty six, Luke parallels the four deprivations and God blessed lives with four woes on the rich and comfortable of this world. So one thing that he points out is that you have to remember that there, when Jesus was, was speaking these words, there were not just disciples in the crowd, but there were also unbelievers in the crowd. And so these woes 
are speaking directly to them, but they're also meant to inform and warn the disciples. Um, the woes are not an expression of pity, um, he indicates here, and it's not like Jesus saying, I feel sorry for you. Basically, their, their judgments and what he's saying is God's wrath will fall on you. So, when, you know, if, if this is who you are, if this is how you um, live your life, then you need to change or God's wrath is going to fall on you. So one final question, and you'll see this question repeated in each week of the study. And I apologize if you hear a motor, that's my generator kicking on as it does every, I think it's every other Friday. Um, but um, the last question focuses on the whole study. So it says, reflect on Jesus's words in this week's study. So think about the, the verses that we've looked at, not, not the individual verses that were comparisons, but the main verses we're looking at, the words of Jesus. Look at Jesus' words in Mark 5, 3 to 12, and in Luke 6, 20 to 26. And then it's just asking the question, what did you learn that may have been new to you? And what impact did these words have on you? And how will you respond? So that's, that's a time to kind of like wrap it up and, and say, you know, we've just looked at all of these words. What did you learn? Was there anything new? And how are you gonna respond to what these words have motivated in you. What, what impact did they have on you? So that's, that's the study guide for week one. Um, I hope that you enjoy it. I hope that your group time goes well. Um, let me pray for you and, and then I'll close. Father God, I thank you for these groups and these group leaders, and I pray that as they begin this study, as they begin to walk through these 40 days with Jesus, sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to his teachings, that their lives will be changed, that, that the impact of Jesus' words on them will be um, just an amazing impact, Lord, that, that you will touch each and every person, that each and every one of us will learn something new from these studies, Lord, that each of us will learn something that we can apply in our lives, Lord, and that they will bring us to some true life change. And I pray that, that even those who maybe don't know you that well will come to know you even better through this study. I pray your blessings on these groups and on their, on their leaders. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you this week as you begin this study. Uh, don't forget to use the devotionals. And um, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. God bless.